at futureprimitive.org. Today, on a beautiful Sunday, I am on the phone with Jody Evans. Jody Evans has been a community, social, and political organizer for the last 30 years. She has used her skills for the protection of the earth to give voice to communities and people who go unheard and unseen in the area of human and civil rights, to protect the rights of women, to raise the minimum wage for farm workers, to protect dolphins in El Salvador in the early 80s, and with Zapatistas since 94. From 1973 to 1982, she served in the administration of all of Jerry Brown's campaigns and his staff and cabinet as director of administration. Breakthroughs came about in wind and solar energy, and she was overseeing the Office of Appropriate Technology. Today, she is the co-founder of Code Pink, Women for Peace, and most of all, she is a woman I admire and I love. Jody, would you like to add something to this intro? No, just that I'm a proud friend of yours. Oh, sweetheart. So, Jody, I wanted to ask you, um, how did your desire to become a peace activist begin in your heart and mind? I think it began very young. I was um, at about uh, two and three and four years old living with my grandparents, and my grandfather was sexually abusing me. So one day... I hid myself and watched, you know, kind of the power in my life go mad. Uh-huh. I realized that I could find power too. And so possibly I came in with it. But what I've seen in my life is that when I'm in a situation, I move into how to solve it. And I think I, it could have come from just growing up in such an abusive household that it was how I survived. Absolutely. I can really identify with that because um, I, too, have composted my violent childhood into everything I can do one day at a time to be part of the solution. So you worked with Jerry Brown for quite a while. Can you talk about that? Um, Sure. I, I met Jerry in early um, 72, I was working as a volunteer in the McGovern campaign. And one night at Club George, I met Jerry Brown, Warren Beatty, and Max Pilevsky, who later became my husband. So three people who have stayed very central to my life. Yes. And Jerry was the first person who I met that really could articulate what was wrong with the death penalty, which was very important to me at the time. I was just appalled that a civilized country could be thinking about bringing the death penalty in. And this was back in the early 70s when it ha- we hadn't had it for a while. 
And so um, we became close friends and talked politics a lot. And mm -hmm. when he decided to run for governor, he gave me a call and asked if I would help him raise money, which I did. And and I was part of his campaign and his administration uh, until 1983. Yes. Because, you know, it's like family to me. Yes, yes. And I got to be part of what was, you know, just amazing experience of really ushering in the time that is coming back around. It was a, a renaissance and, you know, there's the brilliant people who were part of not Jerry's administration, but kind of the brain trust behind him that, you know, brought in wind and solar energy and new ideas. Uh, I mean, just even Schumacher, you know, coming to visit and talking about small is beautiful. Yes, yes, of course. You know, him talking about recycling and thinking, that ever happen. Now, sometimes when I see how far it's come, I just I smile and think, you know, I, I remember when it's like a possibility. So I, I was just blessed to be part of so much that we're living inside of now and that we can put forward. Jody, so you, do you see a correlation between the spirit of uh, Jerry Brown's government and uh, the Obama possibility, great possibility now? Oh, certainly. Um, you know, many of us who worked on Jerry's 76 presidential campaign the day that Obama came in, mm -hmm. we all kind of called each other and said, well, we, we know what this is like. <laughs> yeah. Because he was, he, he was picked up with that same, carries that same sense of possibility that Jerry carried. Right, right. But he also, what has happened is, is the Jerry Browns and the and the Jerry Hearts and the you know other campaigns have carried that flag and refined it and mm -hmm. the, you know he's really got an amazing campaign that's able to hold that container where you know the, you know the first that goes out and starts it and works with it pushes it and you know struggles with it is kind of refining it to the place where it can finally work yes and. And, you know, also having the Internet and all the technological advances that have happened since then help a candidacy like Obama's to, to actually take flight. Mm -hmm. And it's really heartening to watch. I mean, so much of what this Obama's campaign stands on are the shoulders of so many campaigns that have gone before that have tried to push through a new agenda. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's very heartening to, to witness. It's continued to develop and refine and uh, and work. Well, you see, when uh, Jerry Brown uh, was governor and in his career, I felt very excited because I saw politics or I felt that politics and the expansion of consciousness were coming together. And uh, you've been a woman, a human being, who has been very uh, involved in this expansion of consciousness that I feel has been happening in the last 40 years. Can you speak about this correlation between consciousness and politics? Well, I think it's beyond just politics. I think it's at every level of our lives. A generation has been blessed to receive tools and teachers, things that allow 
allow us, this generation, to address our world in a different way than our parents. That's right. So, you know, we've been truly blessed, and, and you can see it everywhere. You can see it in business. I don't think it's just politics. I think it's the time we live in. And I would say partially politics is getting it less than every other sector. Right. But I remember when I was running Jerry's presidential campaign, and at the end of the campaign, what I witnessed was that so many people came into the campaign wanting but actually not being that the 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 world they wanted to live in and who they were were so different. Mm-hmm. And that I saw that maybe business could change the world faster than politics because it's where most people spend the greater part of their day. It's where kind of the 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 way we learn uh, the reward risk and reward situation was more potent. Yes. And I actually went into learning more about business at that time so I could see, you know, how to affect that world because I, I kind of had given up on politics. And, you know, the, the greed and the amount of money inside of it had just gotten, you know, so outrageous mm-hmm. so that I worked on trying to change. I, I realized that the change that we wanted to happen couldn't happen in the current political setting. Yes. That we either needed to change how money flowed into politics or, or we would continue to kind of beat our head against the wall. I see. We needed that change to happen outside of politics. Okay. And I've seen a change actually more in, in, in the business than I have in politics. I see. Politics is still pretty dense. Yeah. And we just saw that in the last few days during this, you know, economic boondoggle that you know, even after, you know, making us afraid and stealing our rights with the Patriot Act and then making us afraid and taking us to war and costing us a trillion dollars, they used the exact same play to rob us of, you know, rob. $700 billion. You know, people who work, you know, two jobs and, you know, are supporting families. And, I mean, the level of insanity of what took place, uh, the fact that that can still happen is all about who's funding Washington. And the people that voted against that um, bailout got 61% less from Wall Street than the people that voted for it. Wow. And, you know, whenever people start rushing into something and saying, if you don't do it and, and there's going to be boogeymen, I never trust. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people have been saying this is going to happen for a long time. You know, it's like, why, why aren't the people who created the problem, been made to fix the problem. Why, you know, why do we say we have free markets until they're in trouble? Yes. I mean, there was so much that needed to be said that wasn't being said, and there were so many people being shut down. And, you know, so you just can see that politics is, the, you know, one of the last bastions of unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, I think... That's, you know, I decided that I wanted to work outside of politics so I could stay sane. Mm-hmm. And that you, you really, even with Coupe, I watch times when we get engaged in thinking that we want to be influencing votes in Washington. The only thing I think it does is influence badly our way of choosing because we get caught up in thinking that's the world. Really, it's not the world at all. It's the corruption. And even... You know, good people I've watched go in, in votes against the war mm-hmm. have to vote, you know, holding their nose, and then you create a corruption inside that person, and then it just becomes okay, and you're watching people 
constantly make choices against themselves. And it's really, I, I think it's dead. I think Washington's been dead for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we're mm-hmm. watching kind of, and there hasn't been anything to replace it. And maybe with this financial upheaval, we'll, you know, start to find new forms of governance because this one isn't working and, and people are going to start to see that they've really just been raped and robbed blind and everything they worked so hard for and were promised is being washed away by, you know, the greed of few. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that didn't really, you know, it's like, sorry, I can't, the question you asked, I can't, yeah, I can't no, answer because I, I just don't believe it happened understand. in politics. I understand. I was just, I was just thinking in terms of Obama, because um, I feel a great hope for a very different wave of governing and thinking. Okay, but let's remember that that hope is inside of you, and that it isn't Obama. Obama really is coming in, coming into power on the tails of your hope. I so see. there's a lot to be concerned about with Obama. He, too, is an insider, and, you know, Biden, too, is an insider. Right. I think it's very important that we all remember that it, it is our hope that has ridden him to where he is. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I hope he real, realizes that. He's a smart person. And that when he gets there, that he'll make some smarter decisions and smarter than the ones he's talking about on the campaign trail. But... You know, there is no such thing as a good war, and to say that misinforms uh, an electorate and did know better. Yes. And so, you know, I see lots of places where he's lacking in leadership and lots of ways when I've worked with him that he's cautious and mm-hmm. is not what's needed right now. We need some boldness. We need someone who's a leader that can lead us into the 21st century. We're still stuck in the 20th century. and right. And... Obama is the promise or the possibility that right. we can move into the 21st century, but it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take all of us holding his feet to the fire. And, you know, FDR was not who he was when he was running, you know, who we know him to be mm-hmm. when he was running for president. Right. He was made that way by the people that put him there, and we need to all remember that. We can't let go, and we can't just hope something into being, that it's going to take everyone's participation for that dream to come true. Yep, yep. That's very important. And you and I both know that there is no good violence. No. No, no. Jody, what is your best vision for America right now? I mean, it means a lot to me because uh, I'm an immigrant of the 60s. You know, I, I came here in the 60s because... I really wanted some from Europe, you know, and I wanted something new, and I wanted to be part of of the change. Uh, what is your best vision for America at this time? Well, I think we're coming into a time, I mean, you came to America, but I think, you know, America needs to become part of the world. That's right. And so I think the best vision is that other countries are being really creative and that we need to be able to learn from, you know, smaller countries. You know, have we gotten too big? Or is the way we are kind of ungovernable? Can we look at, at countries where the small has been the smarter way to go? And how do we not 
dismantle America because um, America is what it is. But how do we become less arrogant and more open to all the ways and possibilities that we're going to need to be open to to survive through kind of the this this rebirth? I mean, it's it's got the 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 destruction and creation of you know of, of birthing in it, mm-hmm. and there are so many that have been you know doing the work and really honing their uh, authenticity and their truth and their hearts and that have been in breakdown for a really long time. And I know you know that, and I know you've mm-hmm. witnessed that. Mm-hmm. But we've mm-hmm. personally done the work of breaking ourselves down and rebuilding ourselves and breaking out of the molds of this corrupt culture into our heart's desire. Exactly. And and I think that um, there are people in so many areas around the world and around our country that are ready to hold the space of possibility and not knowing. You know, and I think that's really what we have to have. And, And America has to quit being so, you know, the is the right way and the only way and the one oh, way yeah. and we're, you know we we need to get a little humbled and see the ways that being an empire hasn't served us and seeing the shadow of that empire and seeing the violence that we've perpetrated around the world that if we've been conscious of it like like the violence we perpetrate in our own lives by being unconscious exactly you know we have to kind of wake up and take responsibility for that and, and create the change and 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 mend the wounds and and you know hold those that you know we've we've done so much damage to and find ways to walk back into the world in, in new and creative forms and partnerships and you know I think it's it's an amazing time to be alive and and creating you know yes. now is the time that all this work that we've been doing has a chance to really reach the vision you've had, but it's going to take you know, getting down and getting dirty and delivering our truth. I mean, mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. where, you know, that's what I'm you know, saying about Obama. You're not going to be able to be, it's not the time to be liked. Right. It's the time to lead. And, um, you know, I think that... For each one of us to lead. Yeah. I think for each one of us, and we can't give that up to anybody else. Yes, yes, it's not the patriarchal model. Mm-mm. That's right, that's right. And so, you know, Obama's going to need to model a bit of that, because I know that to win, he's needed to really hold a vision. And that takes, you know, sometimes that puts blinders on, because you feel like, you know, you're holding a vision through a storm. But hopefully when he wins, he's able to let down those barriers and let new solutions in because he's surrounded by the old and, and to open up and let the new in. Mm-hmm. Be willing to let a lot of new um, voices be at the table. You know, if he wins, it will be the youth of this country that have um, made that, from day one, created that path for him and that possibility. And he's going to need to make room for those voices, mm-hmm. wisdom. And as you say, uh, in a certain way, I think it will energize the youth of the world to see him coming to this place. I think it will energize more than the youth of the world. I think the world will sigh. <laughs> <laughs> A sigh of relief. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Jody, 
I know this is intimate, but I would just love you to talk a little bit about the evolution of your own heart in your life. I know for me it's been an extraordinary transformation from who I was supposed to be to who I really am. So speak about your wonderful heart. My wonderful crooked heart. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. Mine's all broken up and patched up together. (laughs) You know, like I spoke about earlier, I I came from a a really hard childhood, a lot of abuse from parents that were far too young to have children and, and, um, and had never known love themselves. Exactly. So... I think I just have lived a graced life, but, uh, and I think many, many people my age were born at the right time and the right place. Mm-hmm. Things available to us. I mean, it seems like everywhere I turned, if I had a question, there was some new, fresh voice to um, offer me a way out, and I just. So I look at what my mother or father had, and they didn't have anything like that. And um, so many of, the, of us, you know, have known abuse from from those that did live in the prisons of uh, unconsciousness. Yes. yes. So you know, being I think being an abused child, I I I somehow my coping mechanism was to open my heart instead of close it and to have compassion for my abusers and how fortunate and to walk out in the world and say well you know whatever it's like I just want to you know to, to take care of that pain inside of myself was to take care of those around me that were suffering from the abuse power so I was fortunate in that way that that <laughs> was the coping mechanism that I chose yes which made possible a really beautiful life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By by going out in the world that way, it, it let the world come into me. And the biggest shift in my life happened when um, my daughter died. Mm-hmm. We were um, I was somewhere working, so when there was a tsunami, standing um, on the beach, the wave came and took us all into the water and slammed us onto the bottom and it broke my daughter's neck. Yes. Found my husband and myself. And really at that moment, my, I died. Yes. And, um, so my daughter's death, um, became my birth. Mm. Because I had to literally recreate myself. Um, I went crazy. I, Mm couldn't cope for quite a long time. It was just something I couldn't grasp or fathom or deal with. Of course. And many amazing forms of humans and forms of plants. Um, and so just um, I think that shredding yes. um, allowed me to reconstitute myself. Um, so it was a horror and a blessing all at once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes. So it, it, that kind of through that fire and through all the places that therefore it took me. Yes. And my healing 
around my communities and my teachers and, and my past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting, kind of a pathless path in the sense that um, it makes itself up every morning. That's right. <laughs> I recognize that. So um, I can't really tell you what I'm going to do the next day, and I'm always in wonder what flows for me to do the next day and just feel I live a life that is graced and blessed. And so many times in healing circles or rituals with plant medicines or something, I've yes, yes. blessing has just been to offer myself up for what is needed. And I just feel like I live in the grace of that blessing uh, daily. And your blessing and my blessing is your laughter as well. I've experienced your laughter already, and it's very beautiful and healing. Jody, speak to us about how um, this blossomed, your life blossomed into, in, amongst other things, into Code Pink, and what your work with Code Pink is at this time. So my, my work with Code Pink is just yet another example of not knowing what I'm going to do the next day. I heard that Bush was talking about a preemptive strike on innocent country, and my friend Medea and I and, and um, another friend, Diane Wilson from Texas, had already started doing some actions against it. And, and then we found ourselves in Washington together the day he was supposed to meet with Congress about it. And um, our dear friend Caroline Casey had been already calling code... Um, hot pink on her, her radio uh, mm-hmm. show each week. And she happened to be in the room with us in Washington, and we said, can we feel that? And because Bush had been frightening the American people with the color-coded, you know, security, this color-coded security form, and we said, okay, well, we're going to call it code pink for peace. Right. And literally, you know, in a day, it was going to happen the next day, we of a website and we thought of action and we got ready and the next day we went in front of the White House and put on the White House walls and hung a big sign, no war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, Diane got arrested and then we went on the steps of the Congress before they were going to lunch and took off our shirts and put words of peace, of peace on our bra and our belly said, read my tits, no war in Iraq. And <laughs> <laughs> and we disrupted the hearing, and all day long we were in the face of power saying no. Mm-hmm. And found Wellstone in the hallways, and he was thinking of voting for the war, and we spent half an hour with him saying, there's no way. He says, but, you know, I won't get elected. We said, what will it matter? Mm-hmm. And and we got yelled at by, you know, somebody in the hall saying, but he's the best we've got. And we said, the friends don't let friends vote the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so... And that was the first day of Code Pink. And little did I know that six years later, it w- we would still be, you know, we would be 200,000 women and men and be Congress hearings every day disrupting them. And, and you know, neither Medea or I are the people that see each other. Uh, we don't, organizations aren't us kind of thing. And mm-hmm. we were surprised to find ourselves, you know, running an organization today. Right. But I would say just kind of, we opened ourselves up to make a difference, and it landed in our lap. And I always say I feel like, you know, we were given it to, to nurture because 
really had no clue the power of color or um, what what we would become, um, we, who these women would be that would come to us and bring their brilliance and their hearts. What, uh, what is it that uh, links up these 2,000 women? What do you feel is uh, what brings these 2,000 100,000, 200,000 women together. Their desire to end war. Their desire in, you know, they're, they're one woman here and one woman there. They're women often small communities that want to make a difference, but the website brings them together and the alerts that give them something to do each week. So, act, act. so what I learned when I was young is that action um, empowers me out of that feeling of disempowerment. Mm-hmm. So when we look out at the world each day, it can be pretty disempowering at the level of stupidity or indecentness that we watch place. Mm-hmm. But if you can do an action, we can feel that you have the power to, to, to do something. It will give you. It will encourage you to do the next thing and the next thing. So each week we um, we put out a, an alert if something different that week. Mm-hmm. Each week there's an action. Yeah, it could be a phone call, it could be a letter to an editor, it could be coming to Washington or marching going to your Congress member's office or standing in a vigil or, you know, disrupting presidential debate or, you know, something that says, you know, wake up, America. There's, you know, there's another, something else going on. Right, right. I have to, you know, say that you said women, but it's, and men. Women and men, all right. Men who really recognize that that it's time for um, women to lead and that men have been and they're not real happy with where they've, they've led us. That's right, that's right. So I like to say a lot of women and some men. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, I saw on television not long ago, um, what was it? It was during the, the speech... Um, Oh, that was you? Oh, wow. I couldn't see who it was, but I I was with a friend who didn't know Code Pink, and I said, she's giving her the pink slip. (laughs) That's wonderful. Right, and, you know, just like the joy you just felt, it's like what happens is people are at home and they're watching kind of the insanity, and when someone can disrupt it, it gives that person... It empowers that person in a way. You know, if we look out and if nobody's saying no, there's a way it, it just empowers us. But if there's one person that stands up and says, this is wrong, in a place where we're feeling that it's wrong, but why are we different from everyone else and why are our feelings not matching what's on the news or what our leaders are saying or, you know, it, it's that one person can stand up and say the emperor has no clothes. It's so yes. Well, it goes back, for me, it goes back to the little girl who wanted so much for there to be one person who would say no to the violence. And um, so it's beautiful how this has blossomed. Um, would Would you tell people who want to become part of Code Pink, would you say the website and would you tell people what they can do to become a part of it? Sure, you just need to go to codepinkalert.org. Yes. And sign up for our action alerts. 
and get in it this week. And that, that's the, for starters. Um, and then every week there's ways to you know, get more deeply involved by either joining a local community, creating one yourself. Uh, right now we have um, a campaign called I'm a Voter for Peace. Um, we took this to both conventions and at the Democratic Convention, people will, we had like a thousand delegates who wanted to wear the I'm a Voter for Peace because it was, instead of the separation that they were feeling between um, Obama and Hillary, it was, things, it was being about an issue instead of about something that separated us. And they could all find themselves together at that issue. And so for us in this election, it's also that, you know, it matters who wins or loses, but no matter, we're all going to have to continue to work for peace because the um, structures are in place that the violence is moving, and we're going to all have to not just vote for peace, but work for peace. But work together for peace, yes. Jody, we're going to bring this conversation around, and so I just want to ask you um, what you'd like to add for our listeners. everyone to, during these times, not let what's happening, you know, take the fear, if it's fear that you feel, and transform it into the possibility that could be present. So we, you know, so many of us then work for, you know, find that calm space, to find the witness, and it's now is the time to use that, um, that, you know, that's been so honed. And, you know, the offering that we can make is to Stand in the presence of the denigration or the, um, the shifting sand and um, allow it and know where we're needed, you know, be available for where we're needed and be willing to not be frightened. And watch the Bush administration so powerful with their um, capacity to frighten us that are against our best interests. And so just really want to encourage everyone how to look into the belly of the beast. Yes. Breathe. But now is the time. And it is in that place that you will best know what you can offer to the moment. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you so, so much for being with us today.